Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Might be. Every once in a while, somebody tells us that they're listening to the show. It's so funny because we sit here with a cell phone in an obscure place and we have no idea that there's really somebody out there, but most hey. of people say they are. Hey, don't turn out if you're not a grandparent. If you're a parent, hang in there with us because, uh, you know, there needs to be more integration between parenting and grandparenting, honey bun. I mean, it's just like. Parents do one thing and grandparents do another thing, and sometimes parents don't like what the grandparents do. We get a lot of feedback on that. A lot of times we'll be speaking to parents and we'll tell them something like how to avoid giving your kids an entitlement attitude, how to, how to, how to give them more by giving them less, blah, 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 and then someone raises their hand predictably and says, but what do I do about grandpa who keeps giving them everything and spoiling them? Yeah, I mean, in a, in a way, we deserve that. We didn't have money when our kids were little, and and um, actually, we've we been, still don't. <laughs> we've we've been spoiling uh, a couple of three grandchildren this week just because we never get a chance to be with them full time. We have been babysitting full time. Well, you're spoiling them, Linda. I keep telling you to slow down. Linda's attitude is, "What do you want to do? I don't care what it costs. Just here's some money." That's what we never did with our kids. No, we never did. And that's what their parents never did with them, which is why they're absolutely nuts to go down to those crazy um, arcade places. fat cats in Ogden. These are grandkids that live in Ogden, and we love them dearly. We've got the 16-year-old. We've got the uh, 11-year-old twins. And the mom and dad have the uh, the two younger teenagers on a little vacation in Costa Rica. So we've been we've been on duty here with these with these three for a week, and we're exhausted. But it's not as tiring as the uh, couple of weeks before oh. when we had the three year old and the nine month old. <laughs> this is a piece of cake. These kids are so fun. Quit saying you're exhausted. This I'm exhausted. Linda, they're week. running as ragged. This is, they are not. You haven't even been there half the time, silly boy. Um, but it really has been so fun to get to know these kids. There's really only one way to really get to know them, what, and that's when you have one-on-one experience or three-on-one experience without the parents. Yeah, when the parents are there, the whole dynamic is different. It's wonderful to be together as a big family in a reunion or something, but if you're a grandparent, you know that the truth of the matter is when you're alone with the grandkids either at their house or at your house that's when you really get to know them and i I will say i thought we knew these little 11 year old twins pretty well but we've gotten to know them so much better i I always thought of them as an entity the two of them kind of as as one but we're learning how very very much different they are from each other and Turning really serious for a minute, Linda, I want to say you do a tremendous job. Linda Linda's a person, some of you listeners may not know this about Linda, but Linda is a passionate person who when she gets an idea or gets a concept that she likes, you just can't shut her down. And right lately, the concept has been family narrative. And by that we mean knowing the stories of our family all the way back into the ancestors, but particularly the stories of your grandparents and your great-grandparents. 
a lot of research. I mean, it just this is by way of introducing this to you, Linda, getting you, you're the expert, but the evidence is showing that the more kids know about their grandparents and their great-grandparents, the more fill in the blank, the more what do they have? You might say security, you might say identity, and those would be good answers. But what's impressive to us the more they know about their grandparents and great-grandparents, the more resilience they have. And that is the key word in today's society. A lot of polls now show what do you hope to have for your child, and resilience and grit are two of the top vote-getters. Parents know that to be successful in today's very difficult, complex world their kids are going to need resilience. They're going to have to bounce back from some things. They're going to have to have grit, determination. And apparently, and you might ask yourself before Linda explains it, why, what is the connection there? Why would, why would knowing more about your grandparents or your great-grandparents, knowing experiences they had, knowing where they came from, what they did, how they lived, why would that be related to grit or to resilience? Think about that. Well, I have to say that uh, one of our new favorite heroes on this subject is Bruce Feiler, who came and spoke at the Roots Conference, the huge genealogy conference in Salt Lake two or three weeks ago. We were out of town and we missed him, but we have had brunch with him in New York City because he is such an interesting fellow and has really got this down. He's done so much research and finds that, you know, they, they they were interested because they started asking questions of children who had learning disabilities, how much they knew about their family, their families, their family history, about what their grandfather did for a living or uh, any stories, family stories that they had. And the ones that knew the most about their, um, their family, their extended family, were the ones that had the most self-confidence. They're the ones that had the most grit. And so you wonder why. I mean, um, uh, we were just speaking to some people last night. It was so interesting because, um, actually, I was telling them about telling our twins a bedtime story the other night. We were up in their little room, and I said, I'm going to tell you a story, but it's it's kind of a sad story. Maybe you don't want to hear it at bedtime. It's really sad. No, 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 no. We really want to hear it. We really, no, I think it's too sad. No, we really want to hear it. So I told them the story of my grandmother, uh, my mother's mother, who um, had, at 38 years old, had 10 children and died of the flu, the flu epidemic that came through Star Valley, Wyoming, when about, it seems like half of the people died. And uh, she just died in the night. They had to take her out in the night and bury her because she was so, everybody was so contagious. Nobody had funerals. And that same week, she lost her three-year-old and her 18-month-old to the same thing. And they married, they buried them in the same little coffin. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. But you know, what we need to realize is we need to go on with the story when they have something hard in their lives. And that is that my mom and the older sisters took hold of those other eight kids and that family of the other six kids and really helped raise the kids. They were hardworking. They knew they could do it. They had the grit to come through that. And all the girls became school teachers. All of the men became successful farmers or businessmen. And, you know, just knowing that story makes them think, well, when I come to a hard situation, I think their blood is in my veins. I can be strong. I can have grit. I can get through this. If they could get through this, I can get through so this. So there's the connection. There's, 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 where, there's where the relationship is between knowing about your ancestors and having resilience 
in your life as a child and as you grow up. But, you know, Linda, I think it's even more than that. I mean, it's not just knowing those stories. It's it's the connection. Kids are Kids are good at understanding elementary genetics. What I mean by that is they know that they might have your nose. They might have you're the mom. They might have a nose like yours, and they might have a head of hair like their father. They understand basically, and it's simple to talk about it with them, that, you know, you, you're you have the traits of your parents. And in turn, you have the traits of your four grandparents. And in turn, you have the traits of your eight great-grandparents. And kids kids get that. They understand it, even little kids. And so when you tell them stories about their ancestors, those are deeply internalized, especially if they're told more than once. And they will be. I mean, kids, if you do a good job setting up some stories about your ancestors for your children. And you can't just read them out of some journal. You can't read it in adult language or they're not going to get it. But if you take the time to put a story of a certain incident from one of your uh, progenitors' lives and you and you put it in child's language and you, I'd, I'd suggest you write it down. We were talking to some families the other day that had done something similar to what we've done. We actually have a book of stories, children's stories, written to maybe a you know, from a 5- to 12-year-old level uh, that kids can understand about things we know from the journals of these ancestors. And as Linda says, some of them positive stories about success and about abilities and, and potential and so on, and others stories about hard times, difficult times, things they had to go through. And you put them into a child's language and maybe illustrate them. Put a picture there of that ancestor. Have a child illustrate the story. That's a fun thing to do after he's heard it a couple times. And my promise to you is those kids adopt those as their favorite stories. You say, what bedtime story do you want? Do you want me to read you Harry Potter? Do you want me to read you Star Wars? Do you want me to read you, uh, you know, something uh, out of a, a picture book? No, read us the ancestor book. Read us the stories about Grandpa Swen and when he lost his cat or whatever. And and they'll they'll really get into those, especially if you have kind of a diagram or a family tree where they can see, oh, this is my, he's on this root of the tree, and that goes up through the trunk, and that comes to me. I'm one of the branches. And you know, a lot of you parents listening may say, well, where am I going to find the time to do that? And the answer might be, get Grandpa to do it or get Grammy to do it because they can really do a good job. Well, and I have to say that a friend of mine was, um, we were talking in my book club about this very thing, about uh, family narrative and grandmothering and uh, a friend had found an article in Time or Newsweek, I'm not sure which it was, but she'd saved it. And the essence of the article was, what is most important to your family? What is most impactful, according to research we've done, do you think? A. Not not so much to your family, but to the kids. How, how, what will impact the kids most in terms of this identity and resilience? Well, that is your family, <laughs> your immediate family. So, A, family meetings. B, family dinner time discussions, or C, ancestor stories. Now, those are all three pretty good things. And it's pretty amazing. The answer was ancestor stories. And let me just say, it's not just ancestors. 
How about you? Do your kids know your story? Do they know the hard times you've come through? Can they even imagine that you were once their age? That that blows kids away. Wait a second, mom. You're you you were you were eight. You you actually had a childhood. Oh, grandfather. It's even more unimaginable for grandparents. But it is so important to share your stories. We assume our kids know things. Our kids all have. Um, most of our kids have ancestor walls in their houses where they have pictures of our ancestors, fun old pictures, but the kids don't really know until you start telling them stories. So we're going to actually take a break for a few minutes, but when we come back, we're going to talk about a little other aspect of your family narrative, and that is getting to know your grandchildren one-on-one. Well, and uh, we're going to tell you a little about where we've been last week and where we're going next week. It happens to be London, so we'll be right back after this short break. Ayers on the Road, parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hello, we're back and we're talking to grandparents and parents today. If you're a parent, don't tune out because, you know, here's the best thing you can do about parenting and grandparent, tying your grandparents, trying tying your parents as a parent to your children. And that is to come up with some things to ask them to do, to, to take your parents to dinner sometime and say, hey, we're really concerned about a couple of things with our kids. Will you help us on this so that you're in the driver's seat? You're asking for the assistance instead of just letting the grandparents do their thing and spoil your kids. But one of the things we hope you'll ask them for, and one of the things if you're a grandparent listening that we hope you'll do, is to focus on this family narrative that we've talked about during the first half of the show, telling kids the stories of their ancestors, which will give them grit determination, and resilience. But Linda said before the break that we want to also go the other direction. We want to talk about, if you are a grandparent, how do you get to know these grandchildren individually? Sometimes we make the mistake of grandparents of saying, oh, I got these grandkids, I'll take them all to dinner, or I'll, I'll treat them all the same. They're all, they're all my grandkids. I'll just do the same stuff with all of them. And that's a mistake because each one is such an individual. And one of the things that you can do that's not too difficult, especially in this electronic age where most of those grandkids have a cell phone or a smartphone or an email account or a Twitter account or something, you can reach them and put before them a grandchild's questionnaire. Boy, did we have fun with that, Linda. We just send out pretty expensive questionnaire so that we would feel like we could know our grandkids a little better this summer when we're all together. We asked that they fill them out themselves if they could. And if they were, we actually did one version for kids eight and above and asked them to fill them in themselves, type it in themselves and email it back to us. There were about how many questions, probably 30 questions or so. And we divided them into categories, and we had so much fun with that. Then we had another version for the younger, the ones under eight, where we asked the parents to help, but not to give them the answers, just to ask the questions verbally and then write down verbatim without editing exactly what the child said. Well, I just happened to pull up um, one of our 
own children's questionnaires, which they sent back to us. And, and I must say, it took some urging to get some of them back. You know, some it, of them. Some of those kids shot them back the same day. But um, we asked, first of all, for their contact information, so we knew how to contact them. And then their, we knew their we knew their email, but we wanted to know: Would you rather have us email you or text you or? or What's the best for you? And they all told us. Well, we wanted to know their accounts. I mean, a lot of our grandkids have had Instagram accounts that we didn't even know they were doing. And so that's it's fun to be hooked in with them because Instagram's so easy. Um, but we also had a section on favorites, you know, all your favorite color, food, and all that stuff. Well, let's read you a little of one. This is from McKay, who's our grandson, who is... Ten. Not ten. ten. He just turned ten, He's and ten. so he filled this in himself, and uh, it was pretty, pretty entertaining. Um, he is such a funny child, anyway. But there's one section called "You," and it says, "Describe yourself in three words." And he put "funny, smart, creative," and he's absolutely right. He's right. so good at that. Your best friend right now, Kelvin. Not so important for you to hear. You ears. <laughs> um, what are you afraid of? Darkness and creepy stuff. What are two of your gifts, things you're really good at? Hiding and coming up with many ideas. Boy, he is good at the idea. One. He, he's one of these kids we go to visit him and we say, what do you want to do? And he pulls out a list a mile long. <laughs> and then this one cracks me up because he mentions it two or three times. Something you wish you were good at but are not. Hypnotizing. He, he would really like to be able to hypnotize people. He thinks that would... Be a tremendous asset to his life. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps bringing it up. Um, anyway, I like being myself because, he says, I am awesome and grateful to be above ground. He's just really happy he's above ground. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's happy to be alive, in other words. He is so funny. Um, what is one reason example of your kindness to others? And he says, I saw a guy who was in the corner at recess and helped him. Some of these kind of... They're tear jerkers when you see that your kids really are sensitive, these grandkids, and some of them understand what they have to do to be a good leader. I wish you could see the spelling. It's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> um, as it goes on down, the next session is your future, something you want to improve in 2016, hypnotizing. <laughs> <laughs> he really wants to get better at that. <laughs> Two things. This, this is great. I love this one. Two things you'll look forward to in a husband or wife. Have ten kids. <laughs> That's more <Boy>. than two. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wonder if that'll modify a little. <laughs> um, where would you live if you li could live anywhere? Heaven. Who would think of that? I mean, really. Um, what are three things you know you will do in your life? I'm going to have fun, most importantly. I will play with my family second and work hard and I will go to heaven <laughs> and then um, three things you're sure you will never do number one kill me <laughs> in other words commit suicide I guess <laughs> drink wine which is really good and murder spelled M-E-R-D-E-R <laughs> I have to tell you what one of the granddaughters on that one I mean you know some of the you got to be careful. Your questions aren't manipulative, but actually, it doesn't matter because they they won't answer the way you want to anyway. Like that last question: What are three things you're sure you will never, never do? Well, you know, we were hoping you know I won't do drugs or I won't drive with somebody who's been drinking or whatever. And so These instead, you get answers like murder. Well, 
one of our granddaughters said, I will never ride a bike naked in public. <laughs> in public. <laughs> and so with this one, she, we were filling this out in person, and I said, Eliza, that's a... That's a really that's a really good thing that you've decided. What what led you to that conclusion? And she says, "Well, we were in San Francisco one day, and there was a parade, and there was a guy riding a bike naked. And right then, I said to myself, I will never do that.' <laughs> <laughs> that is a killer. Um, just one more, um, maybe a couple. Um, but there's a spirituality section. It says, "What do you ask Heavenly Father for most?" And he's he has this sweetest dear little heart for his little sister he said Mila's heart because she's due for open heart surgery soon and she she came she had surgery at birth and we were praying for her so much and so it's still part of his the fiber of his being that he's praying for that little sister he prays for every single time he prays and she's doing way better than the prognostication so we all refer to it as McKay's miracle yeah just one more um, when we go to, our kids are spattered all over the world. We uh, travel with them a lot, and now we have the fruit of that, But which is great because we actually are seeing all of them either last month or this month. But um, we were in Hawaii with the family, and so we took the two oldest kids out to lunch, and Richard sat at one table, and I sat at one table and started asking questions. Because it's the one-on-one where you get the real input. Right, and so and then we traded about halfway through the after for dessert and it was really fun but this little camden i think was nine at the time and i I said what do you like most about your mom and he said you know she can have she can have the most wonderful conversation with anybody she meets it doesn't matter who they are or what they've been doing she can strike a a, strike up a great conversation and i said well what do you like about least about your mom she he said same thing. I cannot get her home from church. She is always talking to people. So, you know, these things are so interesting and so enlightening. And, you know, you remember those things about them and you kind of feel like you have a one-on-one relationship with a child when you know what's in their mind. We actually keep a book, um, a grandchildren's book. It's a big, thick, leather-bound book. And we every time we get an input from them or a questionnaire or we go to dinner with them one-on-one or whatever, we we put it into this book, so it's chronological, and it's now getting to the point where it's even fun to sit down with one of them and look back and see what they said three years ago when they were seven or something, and we laugh a lot about that. So bottom line, and we're we're not trying to be preachy, we're preaching to ourselves, I guess. We want to do a better job of having individual relationships with grandkids. Now, I just want to mention that we're on our way to London, and we may... If we can work it out technologically, we'll uh, this in the middle of April we'll broadcast from there for Ayers on the Road. But here's an interesting thing I wanted to just leave you with today: the person who we're speaking for this is we're giving a speech to a large group of singles, uh, adults, singles, and and we said, what do you want us to talk about? And uh, the answer was very very interesting. First, they said, "Well, don't talk about getting married." They're they're getting told that all the time, and they're sick of it. And you know, the, the last thing they need is for somebody to tell them again to get married. Talk to them about how wonderful it is to be a parent, how much joy there is in having children, and that's the back door to get them more interested in getting married. I found that very interesting. I think that really is true. I mean, there are a lot of things that you can talk about, and these poor kids—they just ha- get hammered. 
and there's so many of them, millennials, so many of them who aren't married. We spoke to a huge group down in uh, California about a year and a half ago. There were 10,000 of them. 10,000, 10,000 kids, and there are the 10,000 in Arizona. This is just our church members. Um, and actually, it's, it's scary. We've been doing statistics this week because we've had several speeches on family, and the very scary thing is that there are more single people now Single adults, if you take all U.S. adults over 18, more uh, from 18 to death, the, the, living in America, there are more now who are single than who are married. So that's a scary statistic because uh, they are missing out on a lot of fun. And they're trying, they're trying. I mean, so many of them say it's not like we don't want to get married, although some of them don't want to get married. They'd rather play video games and stuff. But... Um, and it just becomes so easy when you're on your own to do your own thing and not rely on anybody else and so on. But um, it's just amazing how many households are full of single adults now, especially in Sweden. You should just mention that quickly before we... Well, I think we've mentioned that before. The 60% of the households, the legal households in Stockholm, are occupied by one single individual. So. The world is moving away from marriage. What we all need to do is celebrate our own marriages, celebrate our own parenting, and really stand up for the idea that it's the best and the most exciting way to live our lives. And I guess what we want to end with today is be proactive as a parent and as a grandparent. Don't leave it to chance. A lot of you, a lot of us, are really good at planning our time, at time management, at setting goals for our professions or for our finances or whatever. We need to become equally good at setting relationship goals with our grandchildren, with our children, with with each other in our marriages, and be more proactive and goal-oriented within the context of our families because, after all, that's what's going to last. That's what's going to matter. And especially when it comes to getting our kids educated about our ancestors' lives and our lives, because it becomes such a rich family narrative, it's pretty amazing what you can do if you're doing deliberate parenting and grandparenting. So it's been great. The time flies. We're glad to have had this half hour with you, and we will see you next time on Ayers on the Road. 